everybody. It's so good to see um, so many of you here this morning. Hey, uh, if we have not yet met, um, and that seems to be always the case every week, there's always new people, it seems. My name is Matt. Um, I'm part of the, the teaching team here. Uh, at Grace City Church and uh, I'm also uh, help lead a, a midweek uh, life group one of the, the, the few that happens in various places around the city I help lead it with, with Candice who you met earlier um, now if you uh, have a Bible please turn to the book of Mark that's where we're going to be this morning that's where we've been for a little while we've, we've called this series that we're doing together in the book of Mark uh, Mark uh, Con or King and so far in the series we've seen quite a lot of king stuff. We've seen a lot of mention of kingdoms and lots of demonstrations of, of, of uh, kingly authority, even authority that stretches beyond that of a king. Um, and in the last few weeks, we've actually started to see some counterclaims, if you like, to the claims of Jesus. We saw last week, didn't we, when Rich was speaking, and, and he was uh, talking about how, you know, one of the first groups of people that comes to seize Jesus, to grab hold of him, is actually his own family. It's actually his brothers, uh, his mother come up and go, actually Jesus, you've, I, I, think you've, I think you've gone a bit mad, so we're just going to take you home. And this morning we're going to see in Mark chapter 3 from verse 22, uh, yet another counterclaim to the claims of Jesus. Um, let's see what is said. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Okay, so any, any text that we come to on a Sunday morning that has the, the, the words eternal sin and never has forgiveness, uh, you know it's going to be a fun morning when, when that, this is the text we come to. Um, sounds scary, right? Anyone a little bit like, oh goodness, I wasn't expecting that from Jesus this morning? I don't know. If you, don't worry, we'll get there. We'll get there. We've just got to, do, got to set the scene, if you like, to begin with. Because... When um, these Pharisees, these scribes of the Pharisees, they come to Jesus um, and, and they have uh, this counterclaim, if you like. This, I would describe it as a bad excuse for how, what, what Jesus, where Jesus' power comes from. I don't know if you've um, come across any bad excuses for other people's success. Um, I think this probably most, uh, most usually happens within the sporting world, right? You've got a, a sporting team, you've got a, a, an athlete, and they do really well, and then the media turn to the people who, you know, the other sport team, sporting teams, the other athletes, and they say, well, what, what, why did they do so well? Where did their power come from? Well, 
there's one particular excuse that um, is, is kind of famous from uh, 2006 I think the World Cup the, the Ukrainian national soccer team was absolutely decimated by the, the Spanish national soccer team and one of the Ukrainian defenders was asked by a newspaper why did Spain do so well and, and this is this is what the Ukrainian defender had to say for themselves because of the frogs croaking we hardly got a wink of sleep we all agreed that we would take some sticks and go and hunt them was that what you were expecting to hear? I don't think, like, even without, without watching the game, I'm, I'm sure we would, if we had to come up with an excuse for why Spain beat Ukraine, I, I think we'd say, well, it's probably the power came from the Spanish people's training, right? Or their, their skill. Or, you know, if we did want to ascribe some sort of ulterior, hidden, dark motive to the Spanish team, we'd say, well, they probably bribed the referees. They probably bribed FIFA, didn't they? That's probably what they I don't think any of us were expecting a frog based excuse that's not well it's the frogs of course yes the, the Spanish team have uh, conspired with the frogs in order to they knew we could not resist the siren cry of the frogs we had to grab our sticks and go out for a, a spot of late night frog bash it's not it's not a normal excuse like it's a ridiculous excuse and honestly the, the it, just, it doesn't sound up to much scrutiny and honestly the, the, the scribes of the Pharisees come out with an excuse that also does not stand up to much scrutiny it's just as ridiculous you know you can imagine the scene you've got Jesus and his disciples they're over here and then you've got the, the scribes of the Pharisees who they, they've come down from Jerusalem they've come down to see what's going on and then you've got all the onlookers around and Jesus has been doing amazing things he's been healing people and in, in this instance he actually casts out a demon and you can just just imagine all the onlookers kind of seeing Jesus do this amazing miracle kind of doing this just turn in to look at the scribes of the Pharisees. Okay, because we've seen it in previous weeks, the scribes of the Pharisees have been so outspoken, so loud, so vocal in their opposition to what Jesus is teaching and all the things Jesus is, is doing. And the onlookers are like, okay, you explain this power then. Explain this clear, obvious power that Jesus has. And the scribes end up saying, ah, well, Jesus has the authority to cast out demons because... He is doing that in the power of Satan, which is a rather ridiculous assertion to make. And, and Jesus highlights the absurdity. He, he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? Right? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Right? If, if you're running a kingdom, you want to keep a kingdom together, you know what is not a good strategy? Civil war. Don't do that. That's not, that's not the way to keep your kingdom together. If, if the primary objective of the kingdom of, of, of darkness is to oppose people, is to enslave people, then the freedom that we, that we have kept on week after week, seeing Jesus bring to people again and again, works directly against that. So often in the gospel, you know, well, in the gospels, when we see someone experience some healing, experience some freedom, what happens? It, the, the gospels always seem to say that they, they go away praising and worshipping God, which sounds, for Satan, that would be a disastrous outcome. To use Jesus' words, Satan doesn't want to be bound. 
He doesn't want his house plundered. And yet that, this is exactly what we see Jesus going around doing. But there's something interesting actually about the, the scribes of the Pharisees' accusation. Because do you see how, well, even in their, no, 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 this is what's really going on. They acknowledge that Jesus has mighty power. You know, imagine, imagine you're a scribe of the Pharisee, right, and you want to discredit Jesus. You want to bring him down. You don't want people believing in him. What are you going to say? What are you going to say to discredit Jesus? Here's what I would come up with. I would say, well, here's, here's what's really going on. You see, Jesus, he's just a massive fake. He's a fraud. He's like a magician, okay? Um, do, you, do you see that dry ice machine over there? Do you see all those reflective surfaces? Smoke and mirrors. That's all this is. It's just smoke and mirrors. It's all a big trick. It's all a big con. But you notice the scribes, the Pharisees, I'll be honest, they're probably a lot more intelligent than I am. They don't even try to go there. They don't even say... It's so funny that these people, these people, the scribes, the Pharisees, are the people who right now, right now in the story are working as hard as they can to work out how they can bring Jesus down, even kill him, and they don't even try to say it's a fake. They, they acknowledge that Jesus have, has great power. They shoot themselves in the foot in that way. The biggest enemies of Jesus. They cannot deny the obvious power that Jesus had. So now that we've set the scene, okay, let's get to the part of what we've read here this morning um, that is actually probably the most bothersome to many here. You know, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. An eternal sin. What is this? You might be here this morning going, why did no one tell me there was an eternal sin? Whatever this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is, what if I've done it? What if I've accidentally done it? Does that mean I am, I don't know, damned for eternity? Why didn't you? This should have been the first week of the book of Mark. We should have started, we should have started here. That sounds big. And, you know, for some of us in the room, we will read this or we will hear this this morning. And it sounds so significant that the, the first thing that you may end up thinking is, oh no, that might be what you end up thinking. Because while we may know, we may know and we may sing songs about just how God is very, very faithful, what you may also be very aware of is just how not faithful you are. I know that's true for me. Like, I know how often I mess up and, and get it wrong. And though oh, God's very faith, faithful, but I am so faithless. Some of you, this is actually how you've come to Grace City Church this morning. We, we stood and we sung that, that song to, to start off our morning. And you may have been here just like looking around the room and people singing and going... If only they knew my week. If only they knew what I have done, what I'm coming in this morning with. And you may even think, you know, can I lose my salvation? Can I blow it? Can I utterly ruin what God has freely given me? In, in my experience, this is a very common concern among new Christians. I know it used to be for me. Honestly, this, this concern was something that concerned me. I remember as a... So I was saved very young. I was very young when I was saved. I, I only have the most... The faintest memory of, you know, praying a prayer. But I, one thing I remember very vividly was when I was nine or ten, and, and it suddenly dawned on me. There was this creeping realisation of... 
what if what if I can lose what I have in God? What if I can dis- like I lose all sorts as a, as a small child? I'd lose things all the time. I'd go to school with my my gym kit and I'd lose it. I'd lose my shoes somehow. I would lose pens and like I would just lose it. I, and so I just thought, what if I can lose what I have from God? What if I can lose forgiveness and 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 the salvation? And I remember being very concerned, like really kind of, oh no. And I remember running to my parents, you can imagine, 10 year old Matt running to his parents and saying, parents, help me. I, some of you are laughing, you, you're really, see the people who are really laughing, they're, they're having a little, they're, they're going there in their minds, that's what they're really, they're really enjoying this story. I went to my parents and I said, parents, how can I know that I'm saved? How, how, what if I, what if I'm not really saved? And I remember this so vividly, my parents parents laughed. And I remember thinking, why are you laughing? This is really deeply serious. I'm really, really bothered here. And the reason they were laughing is that they, they didn't just laugh. They didn't explain this. They went, ha, 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 oh, you, and then just walk away. That's not, that's not, what, they was, that's not what they said. They, they, they explained this. Listen, uh, it's... Um, the reason they were laughing is that the concern, for, especially for a ten-year-old, but concern for the eternal state of one's soul is so unnatural, clearly the Holy Spirit was doing something. You know, when it comes to concern over the eternal state of one's soul, lack of concern is what is concerning. You know, honestly, as a, as a child and as a, as a brand new Christian, I'll be honest, I wasn't entirely satisfied with that answer. But I wanted to know, am I saved? I want to know. And what my parents knew in addition to that, and what I have since experienced is true from from myself, is one of the things the Holy Spirit does, right? When, When you're saved and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells, takes up God himself, takes up residence within you, one of the things the Holy Spirit brings in time is an assurance of salvation. So if Jasmine was to say, Matt, right now on this uh, Sunday, the 26th of, uh, at um, 11 o'clock on this morning, how do you know that you are saved? I would just say, I, I, I know that I'm saved. But how can you be sure? I just, I, I just am sure. How do you know you'll be saved tomorrow? I just know I, I, know I will. The Spirit, the Bible says, testifies to our souls that we are His. That the Holy Spirit comes, takes up residence within, and actually is the one who causes us, enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. This is what the Holy Spirit does. In time, this is what the Holy Spirit grows within you as a believer in Jesus. And over, over time, this, this, uh, the, the fact that you belong to God becomes increasingly a felt reality inside, an actual ongoing experience of the heart. You know, if, if we take a step back and look at what happens... What actually happens when we become a Christian? You know, Jesus says in this passage, all sins can be forgiven the children of man. What happens there spiritually when that takes place? When I read the Word of God, it seems to be all-encompassing. It seems to be utterly comprehensive. You know, what is it that Jesus says to describe this process? You must be born again. It's got to be... That, that, that's what believing in Jesus entails. We're talking about nothing less than spiritual resurrection. You were once dead. 
in, in, in your sin, in your hatred and rebellion against God, but then, then you became alive and alive in Jesus. If you are truly a Christian, you are fundamentally a different creature than you were before. Before you walked in the flesh, now you walk in the spirit. The difference between the old you and the new you is as different as the healthiest person on the planet to a rock, a lifeless pebble. That's the difference that has taken place. And there's no going back there. You know, I remember as a, a child, I don't know what the, the science curriculum is in, in Canada. I'm clearly English. Um, the, I clearly am. Um, so, but science, one of the things we learned in science in an English school was, um, I remember as a, as a child, the difference between a, a physical reaction and a chemical reaction. I don't know if you learned that here. Like a, a physical reaction is kind of you have water and the reaction takes place and now it's ice. And the thing about that sort of reaction is it can go back, right? It can, it can return. Anyone who's eaten ice cream knows that. Trust me, it goes back. I've eaten a lot of ice cream. That's what I've done. But then you have chemical reactions, and chemical reactions are very, very different. These things like frying an egg, right? I don't know how many of you have ever tried to unfry an egg. Let me tell you, it is, it is very difficult. I have tried for hours. I've been unable to accomplish. Unf- you can't do it. But why? Because the work that has been done in the egg has, been, has happened on such a deep molecular level that try as the egg might, it can't return to its unfried state. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you must know this. Listen, the work of the Spirit in your life is far, far, far deeper than that. You were spiritually dead, now you're spiritually alive. A miracle and nothing less has taken place. Such a colossal, foundational work has taken place within you that the idea that that can actually be undone and unpicked is, it just doesn't work. That can't happen. You know, here's the end of. Let me just read you this. Oh, I love this. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna get excited as I read this. I'm unapologetic. This is Romans eight. And Christians, I want you to know this is true of you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, I want you to know this can be true of you. I want you to wish that this was true of you. This is what Paul writes to the Romans. For I am sure. I am certain, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I just love how, how, how Paul just goes over the top there. He's, he's saying, listen, uh, there's nothing that can separate us. There's nothing, in, in, no, there's no power, there's no authority, spiritual or otherwise, that could get in the way and separate. There's nothing you know, in the present. You know what? There's nothing even in the future that can ever come in the way. That, there's nothing in all of creation. And the reason I get excited about this text, the reason I love this text, th- this verse so much, is because it includes me. It includes me. There's nothing that I can do. If I really tried to run away from God because of the work of the Spirit has been so deep within me, I can't. I can't escape that. It's not possible. I can't wake up tomorrow. I can't fall outside the grace of God. In a a very real sense, guys, it's it's too late for me now. I'm Jesus's. I'm a fried egg. (laughs) 
And you know, I am so grateful for that because, trust me, if there was a way for me to lose my salvation, I would have done so immediately. I would have done so at the first available opportunity because I know what I'm like. And so when we read what Jesus says here, all sins can be forgiven of the children of man, we all say, Amen. Amen. I I hope we're happy now that we we see all sins can be forgiven and that work of forgiveness happens at such a deep level that that forgiveness cannot be lost. So what then is Jesus talking about when it comes to people who never have forgiveness, this eternal sin? Well, Christians, believers in the room, Jesus, notice he's not talking about you here. He's not talking about someone. He's not aiming at you. He's not talking about people who who once had forgiveness. Ah, but then they were clumsy and they lost it. No, no, no. He's talking about people who never have forgiveness. Let's take a look at this this story that we've read here this morning. We'll see how it applies to the scribes of the Pharisees. So we see, and we've seen for many weeks, many months, Jesus doing amazing things. He's been healing people and casting out demons, doing these. And we see from, from the very first chapter in Mark, when we see the Holy Spirit come upon him, from that moment... Jesus is doing that. The Holy Spirit dwells within him uh, and he's doing all these incredible miracles. And people are seeing these miracles and as a result, they're believing in Jesus and they're seeing their sin forgiven. And yet here we have the scribes of the Pharisees and they see all the same thing and they reject this as authentically God at work. They say, no, 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 he's not filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not doing this in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is actually the spirit involved is Satan. And in rejecting what by the power of the Holy Spirit is going on, they never have forgiveness. What is it? Specifically about the Holy Spirit that causes this. Well, here is what the book of Titus says about what the Holy Spirit does. He does many things, but this is one of the things he does. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You can see how rejecting the work of the Spirit, which we see here, it it seems to all be about, primarily about regeneration, about washing and renewal, all forgiveness things. These are forgiveness things, central forgiveness things. You can see how rejecting that means that this same forgiveness is never received. Jesus is, is bringing freedom to people, and you can see how someone's saying, nah, that's Satan, all of that. You can see how that person would never receive that same freedom. And what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit means in this specific case is flagrant, willful, determined. You know, there's a perseverance about this. Resistance to what God, by His Spirit, is working. There's a persistence there. This rejection of a washing of sin. And you know, the Pharisees, they sure are persistent in this. They sure just don't want to stop. Jesus dies, he's raised to life again, and and we see the same Holy Spirit that is uh, at the heart of all this washing and regeneration and renewal. This same Holy Spirit is poured out, the Bible says, on all flesh, on all believers. 
and all Christians and the very religious people continue to reject his work of washing, the Holy Spirit's work of washing. In, in Acts, there's this, there's this guy called Stephen, who's, a, who's one of the first, first Christians, and Stephen is described as someone who is full of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the religious people so dislike Stephen, they drag him before the high priest. And this is what Stephen says to, uh, to them all. He says this, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Clearly they are still rejecting what the Holy Spirit is up to. Now, let me bring this all into the here and now. You know, every, every week we ha- it seems we have people with us on a Sunday morning who are just checking out Jesus. They're checking out Christianity. Listen, if that's you here this morning, please let oh, you. It's so you're so welcome. It's great that you're here. We want Grace City Church to be a place where anyone can walk in through those doors, or one of them, because. Only one of them is open. We want the Grace City Church to be a place where anyone can walk in through that door and feel whatever the, whatever their their current thoughts about Jesus will be accepted and, and welcomed in. It's so good that you're you're here. I think what we've heard from Jesus this morning is is really serious, though, and, and, and we need to really consider this. It's food for thought. He's saying that this sin. This sin here of, of rejecting the, the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I, I hope you haven't come in here this morning and your first thought was, oh, these people are all worshipping Satan. I, I hope that wasn't what you thought when you first came in here. But, you know, there's, that, that's, not the only, that's not the only way you can reject. You can reject the Holy Spirit far more passively than that. What Jesus is saying here is that this sin of rejecting the Holy Spirit has the capacity to become an eternal sin. Right? There's this off point where that occurs. You know, Hebrews, the, the writer to the Hebrews puts like that this, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes, come, comes judgment. You know, none of us know when that cut-off point, when that moment of death occurs. I remember having a conversation with a, a friend. This was years back. You know, we, we were teenagers at the time, and we'd been talking about God and the Bible and you know, big death, big, you know, the big, the classic big topics. And I remember he, he just sort of said, "Well, this is where I'm at. You know, well, I think this this God thing is is probably probably right. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have one of those deathbed conversions that I've heard so much." about I, may I just suggest that that's quite a risky that's quite, if you're, in terms of strategies it's quite a risky strategy none of us know when our time is up and it might not be 50 years in the future we can't, I know the average age in this room would be quite low it might not be 50 years in the future you know, every, every week it seems we, we have to pack down uh, Grace City Church at the end, we don't own this place and I, I, we sometimes have to we always have to load up the car but sometimes it's, it's me who ends up taking this television, this belongs to Rich Rich's television down to the car and in previous weeks it's been really snowing and a bit icy and I'm stood there with this bulky television at the top of those stairs, of which there's quite a few stairs and they've been very icy and I, uh, there's been moments where I'm just stood there, some of you know I'm an incredibly clumsy person uh, a lot of people are you see that you see that I can have a coffee and I can spill the same coffee like three times it's not even a joke I can do that so I will be stood at the top of the stairs holding this big television and I would just be thinking 
well, Matt. This is probably it for you. You're going to take one step. You're going to immediately trip. You're going to throw Rich's television down the stairs, destroy Rich's television, and then at the bottom of the stairs immediately die. That's going to be it for you. That's going to be your story. And listen, that would be a tragedy. Because then what would Zara watch Frozen on? No one knows. None of us here know how long we've got. Listen, if that's you here this morning, you're not yet a follower of Jesus. What I'm saying, this is my point, whatever the next step is for you, please don't be passive in that. Don't think, oh, those questions. You know, for some of you it's questions. You need to ask some questions about Jesus and faith and the Bible. You just want to get things squared away in your mind. That's the next step for you. Please don't assume you have ten years to answer those questions. You might not. Make them a, a priority. You can't have multiple priorities. Make it the priority. That's what priority means. Make it the priority. Because if, if what Jesus has said here is true, then this is very, very serious. And for some of you, the next step is actually, you know what? You just got to take that step. You, you've asked all your questions. You've, you've squared things away. And the next step for you is you've got to come to Jesus and receive what he has won for you. What he died for you on the cross to provide this forgiveness. You need to come and receive this forgiveness of all sins that Jesus talks about here because of his death. You see, this is, this is, this is how it is. Okay? Jesus, he lived the perfect life that you should have done, that I should have done. And then he dies the death that you should have died. That's terribly unjust. The perfect one dies, but he dies for you. He dies for sinners like me and you. And then he is raised to life so that we may know eternal life. For some of you, you, know that what, you don't want anything to do. You don't want anything else to do with eternal sin. What you really want this morning is eternal life. And if that is you, if you say, actually, I want this forgiveness, I want this eternal life, maybe for the, for the very first time, just to receive that, here's what I want you to do. Um, I'm going to be around for a while. I want you to come and find me after the service and say, okay, that's me. And I want you, I'd, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you, if that is you. I, wanna, I, I so want you to experience this, this deep, that deep heart knowledge that oh, I am His, I am God's by the Holy Spirit. Assured of your salvation. That's what I would love for you to receive. What we're going to do now is we're going to stand. If you'd like to stand with me, I'd love to pray. We're going to break bread, take wine in a moment. Um, Emily and Meg are going to come up and lead us in some songs because that's the, that's the appropriate. When we hear that our, all our sins are forgiven, the most appropriate response is to sing and praise Him. Father, I, I'm, so, I'm so thankful that you've made a way for all sins. All sins can be forgiven, the children of man. I, I thank you that many in our room would say, that is my story. I did not deserve, I did not deserve this forgiveness. I did not de- deserve this grace, this freely given mercy. God, I, I, I thank you that that would be the story for many here. And God, I pray if there's anyone in this room who, they need to know that you are real. They need to know that you have indeed died for them. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here right now, active and and working as I've been speaking. God, I I ask that you bring that knowledge to their hearts. They would no longer be able to passively perhaps reject what you, by your Spirit, is working. So Father, I pray. I just say thank you so much. Thank you so much for making a way 
for all sins to be forgiven. We, we honour you, we glorify you, and we, we love to praise and worship the God who has won this for us. In Jesus' name we pray.